Today we have Tariq Sitar on the show. Are you looking for a way to become financially independent? Tariq Sitar is a multifamily syndicator, investor, and coach with years of experience in the industry. He knows what it takes to achieve success and has helped countless others do the same. Follow his lead and you can be on your way to financial independence. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, look, are you afraid to start investing in real estate? I was also when I started, so I wrote a book called Why Not You to help you push past the fear. You could find it on Amazon by searching my name. On to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Tariq before we start the show. Tariq is invested in 55 syndications and over 16,000 units. He started with single family and then scaled into multifamily. When he first started, he asked about the returns. Is it real? He found out by doing that it is absolutely real. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Tariq Sitar. Tariq, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Darren. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, both Tariq and I met uh, a number of years ago when, when I joined a multifamily mentorship group in the Dallas area, the Brad Sumrock group. And, um, you know, he was actually one of the one of the leaders to, to watch out for. So when I got involved, you know, I was, I was watching what he was up to. So it's been a little while since we reconnected. And, and so I'm interested to hear everything that he's got going on. Uh, with that, can you share with the listeners a little bit about um, how many properties and how many units you're invested in? Right. So have been uh, quite active both uh, on the GP sponsorship side as well as uh, on the LP or a passive investor side. So on the GP side, we have uh, acquired or syndicated about 20 properties over the 20. last uh, several oh uh, years. And uh, 13 of those have gone full cycle. 14th is under contract, uh, you know, scheduled to close um, here in the next couple of weeks. That is on the uh, sponsorship side. And then on the... Um, Passive investment side, I'm, I'm invested in, uh, at this point, 55 different syndications for a total between LP and GP investments, about 16,000 units. That's crazy, my friend. Holy cow. And you're still talking to us. Like, you could, you should be on, like, some yacht somewhere, like, you know, with a satellite phone. <laughs> oh, it, it, what, I, what I love is just, just talking to people about, how real this is, it's, it, it took me, I, I came from a single family background and uh, had a whole portfolio of about 55 single family homes. And uh, when I switched over into multifamily, it took me a couple of years to, to really 
validate that uh, this is real. And and once that happened, I just you know got out of that portfolio and transitioned everything over into multifamily. And um, I, I continue to talk to anyone and everyone that that has any interest in in real estate about the benefits of multifamily and how real this is. And and in addition to all the other benefits, the tax benefits that you have within the multifamily space. So, and that's why I, I, you know, I'm here with you today as well. That's fantastic. You know, you, you brought up, you know, the exact question that I had when I got involved, is it real? And I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of people that still have that skepticism, you know, and, and I had it to begin with and, and you had it and, there's really no way to get past it than at some point taking action. And then when you see it come back, you're like, holy cow, this is real. But it started for me. I went and, and started a bunch of Starbucks meetings and with sponsors and, and asked them that same question. Is it real? You know, and, and then when you start seeing it, it's like, look at the smile on your face, man. You're like, you, you are, are a happy man. Right. And and the reality is that a vast majority of us, and I, I was in the same category when I started looking in, uh, for, for, you know, multifamily opportunities, there was no one in my circle, friends, you know, uh, professionals that had been active in that space. You will have a lot of people generally in your sphere that would have some experience in the single family space, but a very limited experience and typically at a very small scale. Right. And, and those are the people that, you know, we as humans just bounce ideas off of people that we have in our social circle that we feel comfortable with, that we talk to on an ongoing basis. And, and, you, and you talk to them about this and you, you listen to their feedback, but they have no background, no experience in it. And, and right. that, that is what holds a lot of people back. So when, when you are looking at it as, as someone that is exploring this as an opportunity, you have to talk to people that have been active in this space for a number of years and, and not just talk to someone that, that has a handful of units and may have done a couple of flips. So that is not the right audience to go talk to and get feedback from. And that is, you know... As you said, I, I did the same thing, talked to a lot of uh, uh, the, the sponsors that were active in the space and uh, just got their feedback. And, and, but it, it, it you know, started investing in the space and took me a couple of years um, just to confirm that, that this, this is very real. And, and then from that point on, I've, I've just been uh, focused on it and, and had a goal uh, to have a certain amount of um, capital deployed in this space and and I should be getting there here in the next few months. That's that's huge. Um so how do people I completely agree with you. Um how do people you know connect if they if they don't have somebody in their sphere that has that experience, how do they go searching for that? Right. I mean I I'll tell you what I did, you know, when when um Myself and, and my business partner, Ivan, we were together, working together in, in the single family space as well. Uh, both of us are here in Oklahoma. And um, we, we decided to, when we decided to explore commercial opportunities, we, we looked at 
the various commercial avenues, the hospitality industry, uh, looked at the office space, the retail space, the industrial space, uh, storage space, a lot of those and, and um, narrowed it down really to multifamily and, and self-storage are the two spaces that we wanted to really hone in on and um, started looking at, uh, you know, how do we learn more about it? And, uh, um, you know, went, attended uh, a couple of meetings uh, in Dallas and uh, ended up joining uh, you know, where we met Brad Sumrock and, and his group, but we, we looked at a couple of others uh, at that time as well and, and joined Brad's group. And, and I continue to be part of that group, continue to be a coach in that group now for a number of years. Um, and and uh, that's where, you know, a bulk of my investments come through. Now, you know, if there is not someone in your immediate sphere that might have been successful in this space, explore, you know, there are plenty of meetups in this space, but take the time to, to really understand who the leaders in that uh, group are and what their background is, how long have they been involved in it, how active they are in this space and how much capital they have deployed themselves in this space. Yeah. And, and what's been their experience, right? I mean, and, and it, you know, Granted, it's been a hot, hot real estate market, both multifamily and, and residential. Um, but it, it is crazy the returns and the tax efficiency that multifamily provides based on the leverage, you know, leverage of, of the loan, leverage of, you know, um, a pooling of people coming together to buy a larger asset than they, they can buy on their own. Um, and then the tax efficiency is just massive. Um, so the other options are, you know, podcasts, uh, books, you mentioned meetup groups, you know, there's an app you could just download on your phone, meetup and, and put it in apartment investing or multifamily investing, um, and then going to conferences. And it's amazing when you get in a room with a bunch of people that it's almost commonplace, like, oh, I've, I've invested in a hundred unit, a 200 unit, I've got five you know, 200 unit deals, like, and you're like, holy cow, when you first get exposed to it, you're like, I didn't even realize that there were all these people that did this, right? And, um, that, that and is, it's amazing. Absolutely right. When I entered this, this space, I the term multifamily was new to me. I did not know there were non-recourse loans available in this space. You know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, there, there are non-recourse loans. There are bridge loans that are non-recourse that you can take in this space, which, you know, you don't know. And then uh, on the syndication side, I would have never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be able to go raise tens of millions of dollars for these you know, very large acquisitions. But we, we have been doing it consistently. And now that we have had... Uh, you know, more than a dozen of these acquisitions that have gone full circle and, and we have a good track record. We have now very good um, uh, traction with private equity groups and we have done several deals now with the private equity groups where they have uh, put in, you know, anywhere between 50% to, to 90% of the total equity that is needed for an acquisition. Yeah, that's that's great. So, so they... Did they come looking for you or did you go looking for them? Um, it, you know, we, we had been talking to private equity groups for a number of years. 
Um, but a lot of them, a vast majority of them, really want to see some real track record. So right. we had had uh, conversations, dialogue on an ongoing basis, had had a lot of meetings, but it really started coming together and we, we really started to get some term sheets last year. Uh, it, was, it really started in 21 when we had had um, six, seven of our uh, transactions called, gone full cycle at that point, and they had real data to, to see and to assess, to evaluate uh, on how the performance was on those uh, dispositions and then several others subsequent to that. Um, and that really kicked it off, but uh, the discussions were ongoing. Um, and um, we, we had had uh, good discussions. And uh, as I said, we did not start getting uh, real term sheets from them until last year. Sure. And are the private equity firms, are they coming in as, as PREF equity where they're, where they're, they, they are, um, you know, in the capital stack, they're getting paid first after the, after the lender, after the loan, before the, say, high net worth individual equity is, is paid back? Right. So we, we have uh, done it both ways. We have uh, okay, you've done it both ways. is where we have a hard PREF where we have to pay, after the debt is paid, we have to pay uh, a certain return, preferred return, preferred return to the private equity group on a monthly basis. And there is a reserve fund that was established at close. And if there is not enough cash flow from the property, which there wasn't expected to be in the first uh, several months, then that shortfall is made up from that reserve fund that was set up and escrow that was set up in the beginning. And then we have um, other uh, arrangements, uh, agreements with private equity groups where it is more of a joint venture where uh, all the limited partners, including the private equity group and the syndicated equity are pari pesu. They are on equal footing. So the, the, the lender has the priority, of course, but after the lender, then uh, the, the individual investor and the private equity are pari pesu. They are on equal footing and they, they both get paid at the same time. Um, the one thing I, I will point out, though, that uh, in, in any of these deals that we have done with private equity groups, the compensation for, for the GPs or the general partners or the sponsors is more back-end loaded. There mm -hmm. is, although there is, um, you know, compensation to the GPs, but there still is a preferred return, which is a soft preferred return. So we, we pay as much cash flow the, as there is, and the rest of it gets accrued. The rest of the return gets accrued and, and would typically get paid when there is a capital event, when there is a refinancing or a disposition of the asset, then that preferred return, whatever it is, seven, eight, nine percent on an annual basis, whatever that is, that is going to be the investors that are going to be made whole for that first. And then the GPs or the sponsors uh, get to participate in any of the cash flow subsequent to that. Uh, but but as part of that um, priority or preference to uh, the investors and the private equity groups, what we do have on the flip side of that is that um, you know we have uh, uh, just saying picking a, a couple of numbers for for discussion purposes that if we have fourteen um, percent IRR target, we have an eighty twenty split up until that fourteen percent IRR is hit. Uh, for all of the investors, and then that split changes to, let's say, 
70 going to the limited partners or the investors. And, and now the, the GPs get 30%. And that is maybe up to a 16 or a 17% IRR. And if you are able to deliver an even higher IRR on the back end than that 16 or 17% hurdle, then that uh, split may change to a 60-40 split with 60 going to the LPs or the investors. So uh, we have those kinds of waterfall structures in place where we have uh, a soft pref or a hard pref to a private equity group. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Um, and and that's common with, with folks that build up the track record um, to have that type of waterfall feature. Um, so I don't know this for sure, but based on your success and the fact that you're still doing this and you're still doing podcasts and you're still coaching, you like you must get a sense of joy from getting other people involved. I mean, it, absolutely. It, it's, uh, it, it's very difficult for anyone that is, I, I used to be in the corporate world and, and was in management consulting, was in, in crisis management, turnaround management, traveled the world doing that work. But for some period of time, I was, I was doing 100% travel. It, it's very difficult to, try to, you know, we, we always talk about the possibility of, of having some way to get out of that quote-unquote rat race. Right. Very difficult to do it. It is doable, and, and any opportunity, any experiences that I can share with, with anyone that, that um, may want to consider it, um, I, that's what I love to do. Uh, but the one thing I always point out um, at the outset is that it is not a short-term road. It is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It will take time. Right. Um, it has taken me a decade to, to get to where I am in, in the real estate space now. Um, but I was, in, in my case, I started out um, focused on real estate full-time. I, I had already left uh, the corporate world and, and was, uh, you know, doing consulting on my own, doing some stock market investments and uh, um, just uh, went into real estate. But it has taken me a decade to get to where I am today. So it's not something that's going to yield results in, in the first week or month or year. It is right. a multi-year process. And, and a lot would depend on, you know, how much capital you, are, you, you have at your disposal to, to start out with. Um, and that, you know, over time, it, it grows, multiplies, and, and, you know, you're able to redeploy it. In, and, and that is how I have been able to grow the portfolio that I'm invested in uh, now almost over a decade. Um, the other thing that a lot of people don't necessarily realize is that they have an opportunity to invest in this space through their IRAs and through their 401k accounts. Um, right. What we see a lot of people um, may not have a large amount of cash in their savings accounts, but typically, uh, if you have been working in, in the corporate world for a number of years, you, have, you may have a, a pretty significant amount in your 401k or your IRA, and you have the opportunity to invest in this space uh, through those accounts as well. And, and we, on an ongoing basis, probably get you know, about a 25 to 30% of our um, investment dollars from from limited uh, partners from investors from retirement accounts. Yeah. 
I think I think that's huge. I didn't know that either until I got involved. And you know, when you get involved, then start people start telling you, right? Um, you know what your options are, and and so I've invested in deals um, through through my retirement. Um, you know, I set up a solo four hundred one k, and and I've also um, done it after tax, and I'm in LP and GP. And, um, and the other, the other third area, I think that's an important area that people don't really tap into as much as, is their home equity. You know, I mean, if you, I think people, you know, are told just to, you know, sock 10, 20% into the stock market and pay down your house. Well, that's, that's one asset, you know, that could be appreciating and it's done very well the last, you know, since COVID, but you know, if you have a lot of untapped equity, you could take some of that, put it into other real estate transactions that return significantly more. And you've got the arbitrage and then you've got two assets that are appreciating at the same time. Absolutely. So, that, that, is, that is so very true. And, and some of the you know, people that I talk to that are exploring the multifamily space, they may have several homes, investment homes that they are, you know, considering how they are not sure about the opportunity. They, they are considering if they want to go down the path of selling those homes. But, but oftentimes, um, as you said, they have the ability to take uh, uh, home equity loans on the lines of credits against those, those assets and uh, use those funds. And, and as you said, you know, the, the returns uh, in this space are, are typically well into double digits, well into teen, teens, uh, on an annualized basis, and uh, definitely, you know, much much higher than the interest that uh, one would be paying on on a home equity line of credit. So we have that arbitrage, and then of course the assets are are, are appreciating, and uh, you get the opportunity that the tax benefits are are just just simply huge in this space, um, especially for someone like me where I do this on a full time basis, and I um, am able to to file taxes claiming a real estate professional designation. And that um, in itself allows me to offset not just all the, the, the income, the gains that I have from uh, the, the passive investments or the real estate investments. It also allows to, to, for me to offset uh, my wife's income. She's a physician and, and um, has a decent income from, from there. So that gets offset because of uh, my ability to file taxes as a real estate professional. Uh, her income, 1099 and W-2 income gets offset against the passive losses, depreciation losses that I get allocated based on the investments in the multifamily space that I do. Yeah, that, that's huge. You know, if you, if you are a full-time real estate professional, there's significant tax benefits. Um, if, you know, it's something to consider if your spouse is a highly paid W-2 employee um, that if the other spouse decides to become designated as a full-time real estate professional, um, the tax benefits help both of you. It's the combined. So um, I've seen huge benefits by having, you know, maybe one spouse that wasn't involved in business. You know, they were they were getting paid. Um, all of their their financial um, income was coming from one spouse, and then the other one became a full time real estate professional. And then, <laughs> as a couple, they saved tremendous amount in taxes. So that's huge. 
Hey, talk about when you started getting involved, I bet you didn't really, like you were thinking about yourself, Ivan, you know, your family, but I would imagine you weren't even thinking about becoming a coach, teaching others, being on podcasts, you know, like getting other people involved, helping build the wealth of other people. Like you don't even realize it until later on that, okay, I've got all this wealth of knowledge. I have to share it with people. Absolutely. And that, that is so very true that, as I said, you went through the same thing. I went through that same experience that it, it takes some time to, to realize how real the returns in this space are, how you know, good the returns can be. And, and it's not difficult. It, it, it's a process that is going but to it's take sc- time. It's, it's not difficult, but it's scary at first because it's an, it's an unknown, it, right? Absolutely. And, and that, is, that is why it's, that is absolutely the fear of the unknown is why people go talk to their, you know, close circle of friends and family. And, and as I said earlier, a vast majority of instances None of them have the relevant experience, but you listen to them and and they, they sort of uh, validate your fear and and you never take that first step. Right. Um, but but do the research, educate yourself. Podcasts. I still, having been doing it now for a decade, I still listen to podcasts. Uh, there are several that that are great, and and you you always are able to pick up. Uh, you know, I, I don't know everything. Right. Only we, we all learn. Right. There's just this is just an ongoing process. The market, you know, dynamics change. Um, we are going through a phase where the interest rates are, are rising uh, quite rapidly. So the impact that that has. Um, so talk about that. What what? How is that impacting some of your properties? The increase in in, in interest rates. Right. So so if you have floating rate debt on any of your. Properties, Do you have any floating rate debt yes, on any we, of your deals? We have. Um, two uh, properties that have uh, floating rate debt and um, both both of them have rate caps uh, in both instances the rate caps are in the money uh, currently and and are paying on a monthly basis so uh, the, the benefit of the rate cap is is and it is something that has been required by the lender for some years now that uh, if the interest rate moves beyond a certain point then um, that rate cap kicks in and it is sort of an insurance policy where your debt burden for that property gets capped at a certain point. But there is pain that, that there is added expense that you have as that interest rate goes up and, and that delta between where you started out at the interest rate and, and where the interest rate cap kicks in for that delta you know, we have, we have a property where the, the interest payment has gone up from, from about 65000 a month to almost double, 120 a month. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's pretty crazy some, in some of the deals. And even with the cap, you know, the cost of the cap used to be significantly lower than it is today. So it makes the, the cost of the cap today is significantly higher, makes the deal harder to pencil, but in addition to that, and I don't know your experience, well, it sounds like you're in a lot of deals, so I would imagine that you have this too, um, but I have a few deals that, you know, the, the payment went up significantly because the lender is now requiring an escrow for interest cap reserve to pay, 
you know, when the, when the interest cap expires, they're going to have to buy another cap. And because that cost has gone up, that reserve that the lender is requiring has gone up significantly. And, and that is that is very true that I see that all the time and and in, in instances that cost monthly cost has you know gone up six, eight, ten times uh, what um, was being put into escrow previously and now that the interest rates uh, continue to go up, uh, it is all based on the pricing of the cap today. Although you may be buying that cap a year, two years, three years out, when if you look at the forward curve, the interest rates are expected to start coming down, but the, the, the escrow amount that you need to put up is based on where that cap is priced today. So there, there is, you know, that is true. That is, that is happening in, in a lot of the floating rate debt cases. And that is why we are going through a period now where, uh, you know, a lot of the deals that are being done are done with uh, fixed rate debt, right? Mm -hmm. we, we did an acquisition. We closed on one um, about three months ago in, in Kansas City. Uh, and we, we, you know, although there is non-recourse debt that is available, we in multiple instances have taken on recourse, full recourse or partial recourse debt, depending on, you know, what the opportunity is. And in this particular uh, instance, we um, have, uh, I think it's a 19 million loan from a local bank. Uh, partial recourse, but it is for a five-year term, I think it's three years of interest only, but at a 4.99% fixed. Right. With, with a step down, a 3%, 2%, 1% step down in the first three years. So we, we have done that ourselves as, you know, there is so much volatility in the interest rate market to try to take some of that volatility and risk out of the equation and, and go to a fixed rate debt uh, so that that exposure is not there. But as I said, we, we do have a couple of deals in our portfolio that are uh, floating rate debt and we, we have rate caps and we have the rate cap reserves requirements, escrow requirements that you touched on earlier. And, and those are uh, definitely properties where we are not making any distributions currently because of the squeeze on the cash flow. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know that investors that, you know, aren't very familiar in the space that they all understand that it's going into an escrow um, because it could be where, like you mentioned, a year, two years, three years down the road, based on the forward curve, maybe interest rates are lower, maybe cap prices are lower, and then, they can actually release some of the, those funds from the reserve or reduce any additional money that's going to be going into the reserve. Um, so it's not like that payment has necessarily been paid out in its additional expense today, but it's a reserve. And I think some people just see that amount go from X to X times five and they're like, holy cow, you know, like that. That's a huge expense increase, and it is a big hit to the cash flow, and it could be a big expense, but it may not be. Right. You know, in, so. in, in a lot of instances, you know, you, we have rate caps that are going to um, come up uh, for renewal or expiration 18, 24 months out. We don't have anything coming up within the next year, but it is in, in 2023 when the 
interest rates are still expected to be higher. And if you are uh, in, in need of buying a rate cap, then you are likely to pay a lot. And that is, you know, the benefit is that you would have escrowed that amount. It is not a sudden hit that you're going to get. But as, as the, the, the market sentiment changes and, and um, Fed reverses course, which is expected to happen at some point in 2023, and interest rates start to trend down, the, the volatility comes down, uh, the pricing comes back to a more realistic level, then you're going to have extra funds in that escrow. And, and you may get to a point where you may even be selling the asset before you need to buy another rate cap. Right. So, you know, in those all, instances- All of the escrow would be right. released in that exactly, case. Exactly, exactly. All of that is going to come back to you. We closed on our disposition just the last week and uh, we're expecting, and we have done a first distribution to our uh, limited uh, partners uh, just, you know, end, end of last week. But we expect- um, more than a half a million in, in escrow reserve funds to come back from the lender this week. And that is going to go back to the investors as well as a second distribution. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's huge. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, if, if you sell it before you have to buy that new cap, all, the, all of that reserve is going to come back. Um, I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here, but I'm, I'm hoping that there's a, a success story that's going to come out of this. Um, but think, think about, uh, you've been doing this for a while, you know, an investor who was skeptical, who came in as a passive investor with you guys, maybe a number of years ago and how he or she has come back and thanked you for helping grow their wealth. Multiple times. All right. Time. So pick, pick, pick one story and kind of, you know, obviously don't use names, but just ex kind of explain that story. Right. How, it, they, it, how know, they got involved and what happened. Right. We, we, you know, this would be several years ago. We, we, both Ivan and myself, my business partner, Ivan and I are both, both in Oklahoma. Initially we had several assets in Oklahoma. Um, all of those are sold at this point. We had six of them. We had two in, in Little Rock, and, and one of those assets, a rather older asset, 70s asset, uh, in, in pretty bad shape, that we, pretty large asset, 200 plus units, that we purchased at a very favorable price and, and uh, had, had gone to, you know, it was not a big equity raise um, before we sent it out to a larger pool of our investors. We had uh, reached out to a handful, you know, select few uh, friends, family, of course, and and others that that had been repeat investors with us, but um, connected with with through a referral with someone, a local physician that had not, uh, you know, invested in, in this space at all before, um, and that was that was the first one that that he invested in in with us. That turned out to be a very, very successful uh, investment, and and that, you know, a physician. What does that What does that mean? Very successful investment. Uh, we we had uh, when we went in, the the expectation was that we would double. Uh, it would be a hundred percent return over a five year hold. It ended up being, um, I think, in that case, about a hundred and seventy percent return over a two and a half year hold. <laughs> So, I mean, that's what you're saying, like, it, you find out it's real. You, can always, you just don't see that in the stock market. I mean, 
Somebody invested $100,000, and in two and a half years, they got back their $100,000 plus another one hundred and seventy. Right. And, and those are, you know, those are some of the, you know, outliers. Those are right. the, the outstanding ones. But on average, if you are able to, which is very real in this space, if, if you are able to get high teens or, or 20 plus percent annualized returns in this space, where else are you going to get it? Right. And this is backed by a real asset. Right. So, as long as these are, you know, sponsors that have experience that you have vetted, that you, you know, um, have have really researched and understood their background, their experiences, um, what kind of track record they have, what kind of issues they have run into, which markets they have been in. So, having done all of that, um, if you are, you know, deploying your capital with some of these more reputable groups or, or sponsors, uh, the returns can be, you know, significant. So, so going back to, you know, that physician that, that did that one investment, but, you know, he has been in, in every single one of our investments ever <laughs> since then. After so, that, he's like, I'm in. Right. And, and bottom line is that, you know, we have discussions every now and then that, that he understands that was an outlier. And all he's looking for is that as long as the returns get into double digits, that's all he's looking for. You anything north of ten percent, but you know, as you said earlier, the market has been very good. The tailwinds have been very strong in this space for a number of years. Absolutely. Um, right now, we are experiencing some resistance just because of the capital markets, the interest rate environment that we are in. But realize the the the, the ground reality of affordability gap, the supply and demand imbalance, all of that has a huge impact on the rent growth and demand of, of these apartments um, for the working, you know, working class families. So as, as that picture improves uh, on the interest rate environment, the amount of capital that is sitting on the sidelines in, in this, um, you know, volatile market is going to come right back. So that, that's going to happen. You know, a lot of these private equity groups have pulled back uh, for now. But as some stability comes back, as, as the outlook becomes clearer, they're all going to come back into this market. And, and you know, they, that, that interest, that pricing, the cap rate reduction is going to come right back. Right. Sure. And the other thing is priority. Like, so... We, we had a, a hiccup during COVID, right? I mean, everybody was scared, like people aren't going to pay their rent, right? But, and I remember, I would, you know, I own property and I was like, oh my gosh, people are not going to pay the rent. But every month we were cash flow positive. Like it was crazy that, and then you, you, you know, that was something that you could not plan for. You could not plan for, you know, an epidemic like that. Um, but people are going to pay for food and then shelter, you know, in tough times. Absolutely. So, There's no question about it. Um, COVID was an unknown. No one had really had the, the experience with it. And that is why ourselves, including a lot of other, you know, sponsorships, uh, GPs, 
you know, just held the cash back, stopped paying any distributions for a number of time because you for a number of months because you wanted to have the cushion to weather the storm. You really did right. not know the expectation at one point was in the beginning that, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40% of the residents might not pay rent. That never happened. And on the backside of that, over the last year, the demand for, for these properties has continued to go up, which has, what has that done is just driven rent growth in, in some of the markets that we focus on, which have strong underlying fundamentals, which have strong population growth, employment growth, employer growth, uh, all of those underlying fundamental fundamentals are there. There has been double digit rent growth year over year. And that is, you know, not that what was expected. Right. Rent growth is, is slowing down because of the economy slowing down, because of the interest rates going up, because of the inflation. But the growth is still there. It's not, you know, rents are not dropping. They're still going up, albeit at, at a slower pace. But the and there's still a big media. gap between rental prices and, and home prices. That affordability gap is, is huge. And if you uh, look at the data on, on what the median household income needs to be, what the household income needs to be to purchase um, a home, a median priced home in the U.S., it has crossed. 100,000 mark. It is, I think, 121,000 or so the last I checked, which was about a few weeks ago. So that affordability gap, if you are not at that income level, you know, on average, you're not able to afford a single family home. So you are then forced to rent. So that yeah, just increases absolutely. the demand. So you, you're you involved in a lot of deals, and I don't know, um, both as an LP and, and as a GP, have you run into any deals where maybe it was undercapitalized and they ran into some some problems, either either on your own deals or on as an LP? Um, have you had that situation, and, and how did they resolve it? Right. So we have had that situation both as, as a GP and as an LP. And I think the, the most important thing um, in, when you are in that kind of a situation is to have a very open channel, channel of communication with your investors to make sure you keep them updated on what the ground reality is, what is going on. We have not had a capital call in any of our investments as a GP. I have not been in any investment as a passive that has had a capital call at this point. I, although I, I'll say that based on what is going on in the market currently, I do expect uh, that um, a handful of my passive investments will have a capital call here in the next six to 12 months. Um, how large that capital call is, we don't know yet. Um, there have been instances in, in our case where we are the sponsors, where we have had need of additional capital at the property. And uh, we as the GP team, in every single instance where that has been needed, we have made a loan to that um, entity, to that LLC, for uh, a certain amount of time until we, we go through that period. And then you know, that, that gets paid back um, when the, the cash flow becomes stronger or there is a capital event and there is, you know, money to be distributed. 
So as I said, we we have had issues. We have, uh, um, you know, the, the GP team has always every single time stepped in and made a loan to um, uh, the entity, to the asset. And that is where, you know, when when someone, myself, when I look at as, as at uh, options, opportunities to invest as a passive investor or anyone else who might be looking at opportunities to invest as a passive investor, a key thing to look at is the strength of the balance sheet of the GPs. How much uh, net worth and liquidity do they have uh, in to to be able to provide support when and if there might be a need? Right. Um, so those are important things, and and you know we we have, as I said, we have had those situations, and we have stepped in and and made a loan and have gotten paid back um, when there was enough cash flow or there was a capital event down the road. Uh, that makes sense. Um, can you define what a capital call is? Well, or- a capital call is that you, you know, for instance, I make uh, an investment in one of these acquisitions of let's say $100,000. And, um, you know, the first couple of years are going very, very well. There's ongoing distribution, monthly, quarterly, whatever the schedule of those distributions is. But then there is some some unforeseen circumstance, some event where the cash flow at the property is, or the reserves that are there at the properties, in, in the property's bank accounts, are not sufficient to, to satisfy that need. Could be, you know, a major, you know, some event might have happened, a fire, uh, flood um, where you may need some capital on an interim basis until you go through an insurance claim uh, or there may not be insurance coverage for for that event or what we talked about earlier, the interest rate uh, movement that has happened so fast, so strong, resulting in significant increase in in the debt burden or significant increase in the escrow amount that, that needs to be put up. So all of that might result in several months of negative cash flow at the property, draining all of the reserves. So then you, you, when you get to that point, there's a need of additional capital at the property. And if the sponsorship team is not able to put up that capital, then a call goes out to all the investors to put up additional capital, hence called the capital call, so it may be you if you had uh, you need to put up you know ten percent or twenty percent of your initial investment as additional capital to be able to maintain your pro rata ownership that you had. Now, if you are not able to do that, then you are looking at a slight dilution of your ownership interest. Right. So that that is what a capital call is and how that works out. Yeah, so I mean, there there could be times where now that doesn't happen in the stock market, right? Your stock price just goes from from a hundred to seventy five or to fifty. Um, but you know, it that can happen where you could get a capital call. Um, but there is also kind of the black mark, um, you know, that is part of the saving. I mean, it it's always a possibility on any investment that you could have a capital call or, you know, which you may end up having to put more money into the deal, or there could be a dilution if you don't have it. Um, But sponsors, they know that, you know, limited partners are going to talk. And so 
sponsors do not want to have a capital call. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we, we, as I said earlier, there have been, there has been more than one instance where we have made loans to the property, the entity ourselves. And, and we have been very open in, in communication to our investors on an ongoing basis. We, we send out reports with, with our narrative of the ground reality on a monthly basis and, and are very clear in that, that there is a shortfall, you know, at the property and, and, you know, the distributions are not happening, but there's need for additional capital. Then we are making a loan to the property and which will get paid back when, when the property is healthy and there is sufficient cash flow or there is a capital event. Um, and, and you're right, though, that is a, a that could be a, a black mark. Um, but I, I think that the key thing is to have an open channel of communication to the investors so they know the, the ground reality, the, the, the situation at the property and why it is where it is and what we as sponsors, as asset managers are doing to fix it. Right. Right. So having that communication is, is key. Um, I have invested in a lot of deals as a passive and, and there have been deals. I have not, as I said earlier, I've not had a capital call in any one of them, but I've had, you know, a handful that have, have not uh, come anywhere close to the returns that, that were, you know, marketed when I went in. Um, but the reality is that, you know, this is a set of assumptions that go into that underwriting, the, the pro formas, the budgets, and circumstances change. Um, and, and as they change, you know, the, the reality is that every single pro forma that has been put together is always wrong because right. the, the reality is going to be different. Um, so just being aware of that and knowing what kind of assumptions have gone into the underwriting, how conservative or aggressive those assumptions are, and who your sponsorship team is, how strong they are, what kind of track record they have, what kind of balance sheet, net worth, liquidity, how, how strong they are. Those are key things that, that you know, if, if you do that research up front, that diligence up front, then the likelihood of um, having a, a, an unfavorable impact on your investment or a negative outcome uh, gets uh, minimized significantly. Sure, sure. So talk about any, um, any learning lessons, at, either from a, so the listeners are a mix of passive investors and also syndicators looking to, to scale. So, um, you know, the learning lessons could be either from a, from a passive investor standpoint on a property or from a, from a operator standpoint. Um. I mean, from, from just from an investment standpoint, uh, what I find a lot of times is, is initially people are very reluctant to, to invest. But once they get comfortable, uh, whether it is, you know, by having done their research or, or having joined a, a group or, or um, working with a mentor, then it, it, that, that switch flips and it is like, you know, I've got to deploy the money now. Um, then the mentality becomes, if I don't put money in this deal, I'm going to miss the opportunity. And, and I always give the analogy that you know, the, these opportunities are like buses. You miss this one, there is another one 10 minutes behind it. Right. Do not rush into an opportunity 
with the fear that you're going to miss it. Got to do your diligence. If I'm making an investment, it's my hard-earned money that I am giving to someone to invest on my behalf. I'm the one that is going to have the most concern about your own money. Right. So right. I need to do the diligence. I need to vet the sponsors. I need to validate the assumptions, feel comfortable with the underwriting. And having done all that, I need to feel comfortable with the market, with the property itself, with the market it is in, with the demographic that the property is in. And then, you know, make the, the decision to, to invest or not to invest, but not jump into that decision to, to I'm going to, you know, if others are investing, they must have done their diligence. I'm going to put money into it. Don't do right. that. No one else is going to care for your money more than yourself. So take the time, take the time to do that diligence, to do that, you know, uh, do those checks, do that homework before you make the decision um, to, to, you know, as, as, as an LP to make an investment or as a GP to, you know, buy an asset, put an offer in on an asset where there is, you know, now the sentiment is changing, but over the last several years, there was always some non-refundable earnest money that we as sponsors are putting up up front. So even though it could be a very competitive market out there, but take the time to do the diligence before making a decision. No, that's, that's great advice. And, and I think you have more time now um, because, than it was before. I mean, some deals in the last few years, man, a deal would come out and you know, in a day, in a day, it's filled. It's filled. You know, so if you if you waited, you you know, even if you wanted to, you couldn't get back in. But um, hey, you're involved in fifty five syndications, sixteen thousand units. What's the next big stretch goal for you? Like, where do you go from here? Maybe we, you know, Anthem Capital, the the company that Ivan, my business partner, and myself started. We we continue to grow that. Um, we, we are doing a lot of, uh, charity through that, uh, as well at this point. Um, but you know, that, that organization that, that setup continues to grow. Um, we, we have, you know, staff, more staff now that we have, uh, ever had in the past, um, that is full-time with our organization. So, so how, how many employees, um, uh, six at this point that are, you wow. know, um, working, uh, for us and then. You know, as, as you know, on, on each one of the assets, there are several employees that are paid by the asset, but they are indirect employees essentially working for our assets, sure. right? So, so we have those, uh, but we have, you know, half a dozen employees. Uh, there's uh, a lot of focus on, on education, a lot of focus on, on, you know, getting people to learn about this space and, and feeling comfortable about investing in this space. Um, the key goal is to to continue to to grow, uh, you know that that uh, database of investors that we have, and uh, um, you know I myself had a goal of getting to a certain amount of deployed capital, uh, which, as I said, I I should be there here in the next uh, in in twenty three. I, I I'm going to get there. I'm going to you know. Um, Get, is that faster even, than you even, expected? Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it, it's definitely faster than I expected. And, and that has a lot to do with, with the strength of the market in, in the recent years where 
Sure. A lot of the deals going in, the expectation was the underwriting and the assumption was that the whole period would be at least five years. But uh, we have taken you know more than a dozen deals full cycle, and the average whole period has been a, between three and a half to four years. Um, there have been deals that have gone full cycle in in two two and a half years, just because of the tailwinds and the strong growth that has been experienced. But that you know, Comple- completely. But at the same time, I want to give you credit because look, I re- I know some of your deals. I've seen some of your deals when they came out, and. You don't know that it's going to be massive tailwinds. Every deal that you get into, you know, you're taking some risk, you know, getting into the deal at that particular time. And it happened to be, you know, a good, a good time for the next three years. But you didn't know that at the time. Right, right. right. And it, you, you still took action. Yeah, it's still a leap of faith. You, at, at some point, you got to, you know, you have to get into it. Uh, you got to take that first step. And with, with reference to real estate, you know, you, you, you don't wait to get into real estate. You get into real estate and then wait. So it, it, it's, but you got to get comfortable with, with the space. And, and uh, it took me a long time to get started in real estate. I, I, my, my wife had been pushing me for the longest time. I wish I had listened to her <laughs> sooner. Right. Um, but, you know, once I, once I did, did a lot of, um, studying, research, education, met with people that had been doing it successfully um, and, and, you know, did the single family side of it. But getting into multifamily, you know, plenty of people that had done it, had been successful at it. I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. I went and joined a, a group that, you know, was ready, willing, able to support me, educate me through that process. And, and I continued to be part of that group. And, and, uh, Continue to to support and educate others. I'm, I continue to be a, a coach with with within Brad's group, and uh, you know have conversations, ongoing conversations with a lot of people that that are coming in and and are you know not sure what to do and and how to go about doing it. So uh, just just a lot of personal satisfaction that I get out of doing that for people that are very uncertain about the space, but. Uh, you know, give them comfort for, for, from the experience that I have had that a lot of the others have had around us. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Personal satisfaction. Um, you know, I think that, look, there's a piece of it that is financial and wealth building. And there's a, there's a huge collaborative piece of helping, you know, helping the next guy come up and then people above you helping you, you know, to, to scale. So I, 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 I've never seen any industry. I've been involved in a lot of different industries and that is so collaborative as the, the multifamily investing world. So, hey, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? Hunting. Hunting? hunting. Really? Yes. What, what type of hunting? So you, do you have land? Well, I've, I do not own land. I, I have hunted a lot here in the U.S. I lived in the Northeast and hunted in, in New York, New Jersey, but I live in Oklahoma now. Hunt. There are a couple of uh, landowners who land, whose land I hunt on, but um, having uh, you know these investments, having the cash flow, that has afforded me the opportunity to to go hunt in Africa. Oh, you went? I have. Uh, I have taken, How many times? Uh, I've taken four trips, and oh uh, wow! I am scheduled to go on a fifth one uh, in in June of twenty three. 
The fact that you've done four and you're planning on go, doing another one, I'm assuming that you you enjoy it. Absolutely, my passion. It, it's a love to travel, um, and and uh, hunting has been a passion of mine. You know, thinking back to um, when I started out, my 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 dad. When I was in third, fourth grade, my dad used to take me duck shooting with him, and and uh, so the hunting bug has been with me ever since. And and uh, had never thought. I had always, you know, uh, sort of dreamt about, uh, fascinated about, you know, going for big game hunting in Africa. And uh, I've, I've done that multiple times, took my family on on a safari trip to South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana in 2019, and has been one of the most memorable vacations that we have had. That's huge. That, I think that's an important part. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of people that, you know, they get more properties, more properties, more doors, more doors, more doors. Like, but you, you you also have to live your life, right? You need to be able to enjoy some of the fruits, right? And and so I love the fact that you're, you know, able to do something that you weren't, you didn't ever think you could Absolutely. before. Absolutely. And and we, we, you know, as a family, love to travel and, and explore uh, new places. And, and we, we continue to do that. I, you know planning a trip, a uh, family trip with a couple of our uh, close uh, families uh, to, to Australia and New Zealand for uh, next year as well. That, that's awesome. There, there was a guy I interviewed that said, you know, he's killed it. And, and he said he likes being the supplier of fun. You know, so there's people in his world that just don't make as much money. And he's like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just rent the, you know, the vacation house and have four families come. Right. Yeah. And, and so he's the supplier of fun, you know? So that's, that's awesome. Hey, I appreciate you getting together with us. Um, hey, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Learn well, more about you. Um, easiest is, you know, we, we, Anthem Capital Partners is the name of our uh, company that uh, Ivan and I set up in the multifamily space. The website is anthemcp.com, short for Anthem Capital Partners. You can go on that site. Uh, there is a book that we have on the site as well, a PDF that is, you know, more or less our experiences, what Ivan and I went through um, from single family to multifamily to where we are today. Um, quick read, 90 minutes, under two hours. You can go through it. gives you, you know, insight into our experiences. And then... Is there a charge for that? No, it's, it's a free download. Um on, you can buy it on Amazon if you want, but uh, it's a free download from our website. Um, you can just uh, download it there. Uh, um, you can connect with us through our website. Our contact information is there, or you know, I'll, I'll give you my email address as well. My first name, T-A-R-I-Q, at anthemcp.com. Feel free to send me an email. Um, as I've said earlier, I always and make myself available to, to people that have questions about the space, that are uncertain about the space. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very ready, willing, able to share my experiences. I always tell people that, that if I can do it, there's, there's nothing proprietary or secret about the space. You can do it better, you can do it quicker, but you gotta get started. Tariq, I really appreciate you coming on and, and I can vouch for that. I mean, this guy, he, he does, he has, he, he loves to help people. Um, I've, I've stopped a number of times in different locations and, and have asked for advice. And he's always 
open and willing to do so. So definitely reach out to him and his, and his partner. And um, listeners, until next week, signing off. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 